If you would, please open up your Bibles to Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6 today. Proverbs chapter 6. And if you don't mind staying up standing for the reading of God's Word, we'll begin reading in... I forgot which verse here. We'll begin reading in verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from a smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry a fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes his revenge." He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Please be seated. Two weeks ago, we talked about the gift of marriage and how that marriage is the only place for sexuality in our lives. We discussed the seriousness of taking the path of folly into sexual immorality. We read, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Solomon advises his son what to do when he sees sexual immorality, and that was to run away from it. He says, and now, sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep far away from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Paul gives the same warning in the New Testament when he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Both Solomon and Saul point to this son point to the church and say, run from sexuality, from immoral sexuality. Run from the adulterous woman. Keep away. Don't go near it. Don't try and fight it. And finally, Solomon urged his son to revel in the gift of sexual intimacy, but to do it in the only way that it was enjoyed, that it was designed to be enjoyed. And that's between a single man, a single woman in the lifelong bonds of marriage. The simple lesson of chapter 5 is enjoy the gifts that God gives us, but enjoy them in the way that they were designed to be, 
to treasure those gifts, to protect them, to jealously guard them, and to avoid at all costs the things that don't belong to us. Last week, Solomon gave us practical advice with avoid putting up security for others. Be diligent in your responsibility. We talked about how our time is limited and precious. What we decide to do with it actually matters. And the fact that we must know what our most important responsibilities are. And we must put those first. We learned that God hates those that sow discord. Solomon said there were six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, the feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lives, and he saves the most important one for last, one who sows discord among brothers. In today's text, we'll go back to the topic of adultery. And this is a topic that I don't think we hear about enough given what goes around in the world today. If you look up statistics for extramarital affairs in the U.S., it is sad. 22% of married men admitted to having at least one affair in their marriage. That number for women is 14%. It's estimated that 36% of men and women that have affairs have them with coworkers. Around 10% of affairs now start online. And of, the, of that 10% that have some form of extramarital activity online, 40% of those will go on to do it in person. The divorce rate in the U.S. is still around 50%, and it's estimated that half of those divorces are due to extramarital affairs. Now, we can look at this and say, yeah, but we're the church. We're, we're not immune to it. I found re- research from Focus on the Family that says nearly 40% of pastors that were polled have had extramarital affairs. And that's not even the worst part of the statistic. 40% of pastors polled had extramarital affairs after they became a pastor. And we need to keep in mind that all of these statistics are based on people that are just willing to admit it. As believers, as husbands, as wives, as parents, as singles, we need to remind ourselves constantly of the dangers of sexual immorality. And this is what Solomon does yet again with his son. We begin in our text in verse 20. We read, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For this commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are a way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. This is a familiar set of texts that we've seen all over the book of Proverbs. A plea to a son saying, keep my commandments, listen to your mother, cover yourself with wisdom head to toe, because wisdom will preserve you from the evil woman. Because wisdom will guide you, wisdom will watch over you. This is the same thing we read in in Solomon chapter 2, and I hope you'll indulge me But I'd like to read the chapter 2 in its entirety because it describes the value of wisdom far better than I or any other pastor could. Proverbs chapter 2 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, 
making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find, not, find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of the saints. Then, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant for your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her shall come back, nor do they regain the, life, the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out. There's a value in wisdom. Solomon begs his son, cover yourself in it. Live with it, sleep with it, awake with it. Let it guide you. Why? Because it will protect you from the way of the adulterous woman. We keep reading in verse 25 of our text. It says, do not despise her. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. It's an interesting progression that we see here. Someone says, don't desire your beauty. Don't let her eyelashes tempt you. So it's this idea of a recognition, a lingering on this beauty, something as simple as her eyelashes. Then we make the huge jump to the price of a prostitute and a married woman hunting down a precious life. What we see here is a slippery slope. It's a slope that makes Solomon tells his son to run from her, to don't go, to don't go near her, don't even walk by her house. It's the same slippery slope that makes Paul admonish the church to flee sexual immorality. And that's because sexual immorality begins with the eyes and with the heart. And at the end of that road is adultery and ruin. I have to believe that people don't wake up one day in happy marriage and say, I'm going to go cheat on my spouse. No one wakes up out of the blue and says, I, I, I think I want to have an extramarital affair. So how do married men and women get to this point? How do we as believers find ourselves at this point? We know what Scripture says. We know adultery is wrong. We know that it ruins lives. We know that it brings pain and misery. And I imagine everyone here, when someone says, don't commit adultery, would give a hearty amen. So why do we have so many in the church that fall into adultery? I believe it starts with a prideful idea that we can somehow get close to sexual immorality without paying a price. 
We allow ourselves to take steps that can, can appear harmless, but in, really, in reality take us closer and closer and closer to complete ruin. When you hear people's stories of how an affair started, or you see them on TV, you hear a common phrase that comes up. Well, one thing led to another. And there's a lot of truth in that. The building of friendly relationships with a man or woman at work, maybe a business lunch or a dinner together, late nights working alone together. Maybe you're like me and you have to travel for work sometimes and you have to travel with this person. These things can be harmless, but we also need to recognize that they could be that one thing that leads to the next thing and then the next thing and the next thing. So does that mean that if you're married, that you can never have a friend of the opposite sex? That if you have to travel or have a meeting alone with a person of the opposite sex that, you, sex, that you should quit your job. Of course, that's not what we're talking about here. But wisdom would say to guard those interactions. Guard your eyes, guard your hearts, guard your mouth. Don't put yourself in situations where that next thing can come about. Wisdom is what keeps us from that next thing. Wisdom helps us see the danger and run from it. It puts guardrails. It puts boundaries in place that we should not cross. Folly, on the other hand, does the opposite. Folly is always in search of that next thing that leads to the next thing. Folly tells you that you can withstand the temptation. Folly wants you to tolerate the temptation. I'm reminded from a line from a recent podcast that I'm sure a lot of people are listening to. The host of the podcast said that we become what we tolerate. And I couldn't agree more. Because folly wants us to fall in line with the world. Folly wants to tell us that marriage is just whatever you want to make it. That sex is some kind of human right. And you get it however you can get it. And if you're not satisfied with it in your marriage, go find it somewhere else. That's fine. Folly tells us that marriages are disposable. And folly teaches our young women that they're nothing more than sexual objects, something to be desired, something to be, to be had by men. The way that folly works is, it's, is it teaches us to slowly tolerate more and more. As an example, look at how we consume entertainment. Is there anything wrong with watching a TV show or enjoying a movie after a long day? Of course not. But as we do this, we have to be careful of the world creeping in and tolerating more and more. We watch shows and movies that depict and even glorify adultery or sex out of marriage. And we say, it's okay, we can fast forward. We can, I can tolerate that because the story is so good. We begin to get desensitized to things like violence and sex, and it slowly becomes normal. We begin to enjoy these types of shows, seek them out. And as we become desensitized, we begin to seek out this type of entertainment and push the boundaries even further. Eventually, we tolerate shows and movies that are honestly just a step away from being pornography. And then some people wake up one day saying, how am I addicted to pornography? How did I get here? Now, this, this line of events, it's not a guarantee, but folly wants this line of events to happen more than anything. As another example, our relationships with people at work or at church or people you see on a daily or weekly basis. We, we start up conversations with men or women. We begin to build friendly relationships. 
And here's, here's a big one. We start to bond over things, especially complaining about things, complaining about the weather, the, the, our jobs, our children, and eventually our spouse. We begin to innocently flirt with a person. We make plans for lunch and dinner, which like, meals aren't sinful. But then we start getting in our head that we can, ah, I, I don't need to tell my spouse. It's just lunch. I, I, she doesn't need to know. It's not like I'm cheating or anything. And then before you know it, you hear the story that you always hear, one thing led to another. Again, I'm not saying that we're the type of people that we can't be around a man or a woman for five seconds and not pounce on them. It's not what I'm saying. But again, this is what folly wants us to be. Folly wants us to push our boundaries. Wants us to start asking questions like, how far can I go before it's a sin? Folly wants us to dip our toes into sin and get comfortable with it. It wants to slowly take us to that next thing and the next thing until we're so far into it that we don't know how to get out. Folly wants us to become what we tolerate. Solomon warns warns his son. He says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he that goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. As a child, I had the privilege of a big family. There's, there's not many people that I've met that can say that, A, they've been all over the country camping with their parents. But not only my parents, my, my grandparents, and even my great-grandparents with us all together. One of the things that I love most, as I'm sure lots of little boys do, is playing with the fire. I like to build it, like to watch it, like to poke it, like to keep it going. So I always wanted to help start the fire, I wanted to play with it. And you can imagine what my mom would always say in these situations. If you get too close, you're going to burn yourself. And that's because fire has one property that eclipses all else. Fire burns things. Solomon says that adultery is like a fire. From a distance, a fire can look appealing. Even inviting, it looks warm, it can be comforting, but it exacts a toll. You can't touch it without burning yourself. And that's how adultery works. These small steps that take us from innocent, harmless things into the sin of of adultery, it looks appealing. It, It sounds nice. It's nice to have someone listen to you. Maybe your wife doesn't listen to you the way that you that that you like. It looks inviting. It looks like we're going to fill some kind of void with it. But it does nothing but burn everything that it touches. It destroys marriages. It destroys trust. It destroys home. It destroys everything that it touches. But here's the worst of it, and we've all probably seen it. It destroys our children. I've seen what infidelity and divorce can do to children. Mom and Dad, you're supposed to be the person that your kids can trust more than anyone in this world. Infidelity destroys that trust. And children end up paying the price for it. Solomon finished up this chapter saying, Please do, uh, people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods in his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who destroys him, uh, he, do, he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. 
For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will not, he will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Victor Hugo wrote a musical, or not a musical, it was a novel when he wrote it, um, in 1862. Uh, it was very popular, one of my favorite, Les Mis. The, the, one of the main characters in that, at the beginning of the, of the show, steals, breaks a window and steals a loaf of bread. Pays 19 years for what he did. And then slowly becomes one of the heroes of this movie. The character's background is the same as one of the men in Solomon's lesson here. Solomon describes a thief that steals because he's hungry. We can understand that crime. The Old Testament gives a punishment for that crime, saying that you have to pay, repay three to four times what was stolen. As Solomon actually exaggerates this punishment, saying that a man will pay seven times, but he can pay. He'll give all that he has if he can't pay. We can look at the sin of a man that steals to provide for his family, and we can empathize with it. We can understand the reasoning behind the sin. We can still look at that sin and say, yes, it's a sin and it deserves punishment, but we can understand it. Adultery is a different beast. There's no perceived greater good in it. There's no reasonable understanding that would make adultery acceptable. The sin completely and utterly destroys, and it's completely and utterly selfish. It destroys marriages. It destroys the lives of children. It destroys the lives of those that didn't commit that sin. The sin damages the lives of others for a few moments of pleasure. So there are those that will read this today or hear this message today and will say, that ah, that could never happen to me. I have a great marriage. It could never happen to me. There are those that are here today that are married that will say, I'd never cheat on my spouse. They could never fall into this type of sin. They could never violate the bonds of marriage. There are singles here that think, well, this is about adultery. I'm not married. I'm good. This text doesn't apply to me. I'm single. I couldn't possibly do it. And my views on sex and fidelity right now, they'll change when I'm married. The truth is that sexual immorality affects every single person in this room. If you're married, we need to recognize the folly of sexual sin. We need to understand how easy it is to begin to tolerate these sins and how easy it is to get comfortable and push boundaries. If you're single, same advice. You become what you tolerate. Your views on relationship, intimacy, sex, they will follow you into marriage. You're not going to suddenly change once you get married. Children, you're going to learn about sex. You're going to learn about intimacy, and you're going to learn it from somewhere. Hopefully, that's your parents. But if not, the world is going to be there. While there's so much wisdom in the text for us as adults, I want my main lesson to be to the parents because your children will learn about this somewhere. They'll learn about it on TV, on the internet. They'll learn of it eventually through pornography, through peer pressure. 
children will learn about morality. They will learn about sex. They will learn about marriage. The question for us is, who do we want teaching them? It's not the church's job. Yes, the church should come alongside and help in that, but it is not the church's job to teach your children about that. It's not their teacher's job at school, nor do we want it to be the teacher's job at school. So for fathers, our sons see how we act. They see so much more. They see how we look at women. They see how we talk about women. They see how you treat your wife. So if you're the type of guy that has lingering looks at that woman jogging down the street, your sons see that. They see when we criticize or argue or fight or talk bad about their mothers. They see how we lead them. They see how we lead our lives. They will see what we do and they will learn how to be men from it. Fathers, our daughters will see how we treat their mother. And they will they will build a life around that and say, this is how a man is to treat a woman. When they go out to look for a husband, they will look either for someone that's like their father or run away as far as possible from someone like their father. Our daughters see how we fight as parents. They too will see how we look at women and they will start to judge their value based on how we look at women and talk about women. Mothers, your daughters will learn what it means to be a woman from you. They'll learn what it means to be a wife. They'll learn what it means to be a mother. They will see you when you fight with your husband. They will see you when you fight against biblical submission. They will see you and hear you when you complain about your husband's fault. Your sons, moms, they're going to idolize you. And they're going to form a picture of what to look for in a wife. So parents, I'll leave you with a text that I've referenced multiple times throughout Proverbs. It's 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Sexual immorality comes with a price. It's sin against a holy God. It's a sin against your spouse. It's a sin against your children. And it's a sin against your own body. But as believers, we were bought with a price, a price that we couldn't pay. The price was the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a holy, a just, a loving God condescends to become man. He claimed to be God. He proved to be God when he lived a perfect life, when he was willing to take on an execution he didn't deserve and raise from the dead. All of these things he did for the glory of the Father, and to make a way for, to be, for us to be fixed in our issue of sin. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust and faith 
in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, I once again beg you, talk to me. Talk to anyone you've seen on this stage. Grab a stranger and talk to them today. We were bought with a price. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you to just cover us in wisdom. Humble us, Lord. Let us do what Proverbs says, to seek after it like silver, to search for it like hidden treasure. Let us bind it around our necks. Let us wear it. Let us seek after it because it's here for a purpose, Lord. Folly wants to destroy. Folly leads to death. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that are married, that you would strengthen the marriages, that you would um, repair relationships, Lord, that you would um, make integrity and glorifying your name the most important parts of of, of our marriages, Lord. For the singles today, I would pray, Lord, that you would teach them that what they do right now matters, Lord that there is a purpose for the season of life that they're in. That just as easily as a married couple, someone that's single can commit adultery in their hearts. Lord, for our children, I just pray that you would call them to salvation, Lord. I beg you to save our children. pray that the parents in this room will, will love their children enough to, to have these hard conversations, have the uncomfortable conversations with them, teach them so that the world is not the one that'll teach them. Lord, bless the rest of our worship today. Help us to examine ourselves as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, Lord. Let us take it in a worthy manner. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.